0: Asking you to turn the Old Testament scriptures to Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12. Perhaps a very unusual passage to preach from regarding Levitical. Ceremonial rites, though the ceremonial law has become extinct, its truth is ever relevant for us today. So please resist the temptation to ask what in the world are you preaching from Leviticus 12 for? Well, I hope to be able to to uh, convince us that this is God's Word and the truth is very applicable to us today. Leviticus 12, from Leviticus 11 through 15, you have the subject of sin. The study of sin is called homartology. And the Lord just convinces us that sin is not only everywhere around us, it is within us. Last time we considered uh, Leviticus, you remember chapter 11, about the, the creatures that were clean and unclean. And that chapter teaches us that sin is all around us. It, exterior, it's above us, it's around us, it's below us. And the teaching is the existence of sin. We need to watch out for, just like they were to watch out for unclean and clean creatures using discernment you can't touch that creature or else I'll be unclean till the evening and the Lord is teaching us to discern between good and evil to resist the evil and to to uh, accept that which is good and clean and holy well now the subject is going inside. Not external. Sin is external to us, but it is also internal. And so chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 deal with sin within us. So we can't just say, well, sin is out there. Outside us, it is, but sin is within us. What did David say? I have sinned. I have sinned, Lord. So let's consider the teaching of chapter 12 of Leviticus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. The separation refers to later on in chapter 15. The woman's monthly cycle. And in the eighth day, the flesh of His foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, a female, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying threescore and six days. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Again, I I ask the question, why are we considering a ceremonial rite that has become extinct? We are not to offer lambs and birds on physical altars. But I want to remind you of a very important verse that includes the whole of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, "...for correction and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfected, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." And so what i like to do this morning is to just take those four divisions and show that this chapter teaches doctrine. It does bring reproof and it does correct us and instruct us in the way of righteousness. Some people will come to this passage and say it's just a a very uh, interesting passage and they don't really see it as applicable Scripture for us today. For instance, one person says, "...the ordinances contained in this chapter can have little practical relation to us, yet uh, the perusal of them cannot but be interesting to the Christian reader." I don't agree with that. I beg to differ. It's not just an interesting reading about past history, but there is teaching and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness here. Again, as you look at these chapters, you see the existence of sin, chapter 11, unclean and clean creatures. But here you have what we might term the transmission of sin from Adam right into the human race so we might say this is the entrance of sin you have the existence of sin now the entrance of sin the effects of sin the skin diseases in chapters 13 and 14 you have perhaps even the original original sin that comes from sin's transmission Chapter 15 and all the bodily fluids that are mentioned there. And finally, at the climax, you have the elimination of sin, the Day of Atonement. That sin has been described in all of its ugliness, its origin, its effects, its condemnation. And if, if it ended with chapter 15, we're in big trouble as it ends with fallen angels. But chapter 16 gives us the solution. It's the blood that maketh atonement for the soul, as chapter seventeen goes on to admit. So the birth of a child is really what this chapter is all about, isn't it? If a woman have conceived seed or and born a, a male or a female, verse or female or a male. So we might say, well, what this chapter should say is rejoice. Rejoice that a, a child has been born. And we would agree with that. There should be rejoicing. It's a, it's a blessing for a, a baby to be born in the world. But, this chapter is giving us the solemnity of the birth. Not just the joy of a birth. That's considered elsewhere We find that right from the very beginning when Cain is born. It's a joy to Adam and Eve. Though he turns out to be great sorrow. But then we see you know, Noah being born, who's going to be a comfort in a wicked world. And then we see, um, do we not? We see Isaac's birth, and, and right down the line, blessings that are coming with the birth of children. But this chapter is saying we should consider more, as I've introduced this subject this morning is a happy but solemn birth. The birth of children is a happy occasion. And we consider that in other passages and other messages, but this chapter is teaching that the birth of a child should be a solemn occasion to people. To consider the subject of sin even in the birth of a child. The Bible isn't a killjoy. It's considered... the blessing and the happiness of birth many times previous to Leviticus chapter 12. Again, Seth and Noah, Isaac, Moses, the joys have been cataloged. The Bible isn't a killjoy. But here it's reminding parents that when a child is born, the child is born in sin. That sin... A sinner has been born into the world and desperately needs a Savior. And as as parents hold that baby and cry and rejoice over that child, may I say simultaneously, they should be weeping and praying, Oh God, here's a sinner that needs a Savior. Have mercy on my son and my daughter. May they be converted to the Lord Jesus. Oh, may I not see this child at the judgment day on the wrong side, as it were. So sin and its its transmission is, is the subject. Here's a soul that's now... A body's there, but there's a soul in this little baby. And a soul that will live somewhere forever, either God's heaven or God's hell. Here's a soul that yes, needs nurture and admonition and needs milk and needs food and needs education, but he needs Christ. She needs a Savior. She's a soul that needs forgiveness. And that's something that should be reminded new parents in a church. As children are baptized early in life, as a child is, is, is baptized, the parent is reminded of the grave responsibility to teach that child the truth of God and of Christ and of salvation. So there's a do- there's doctrine immediately upon us here in this passage. The doctrine of sin. Again, the chapter, sin's existence, sin's effects. Sin's emergence and sin's removal, but here sin's transmission. How is it that this child became a sinner? How is it that sin is, is, has entered into the world? The subject of sin, the study of sin, as well as the study of salvation is in this passage. First, we need a Savior because we're sinners. This child... Is a human being, but this child is not an angel. This child, unlike what we read earlier, it's only there's only one person that's ever been conceived and born sinlessly. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so we read about the birth of Jesus. He shall be great. He will be the Son of the Highest. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and ensure. That sin is not transmitted from Adam. That Jesus was born sinlessly. He alone had an immaculate conception and an immaculate birth. Not Mary. Mary was a sinner. Mary was conceived and born in sin. She needed to be born again. Mary is in heaven because Christ died for her. She's a sinner saved by grace. She's no... She's no goddess. You can't pray to Mary. That's idolatry. That's blasphemy. She can't hear you. if she, she's, not, she's farther than a mile away. Someone can't hear me now if I pray. They're a mile away. And she's a million miles away. Mary is pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. May I say Mary was a Christian. She is a Christian. She's a sinner saved by grace. Oh, it's a happy day for a child to be born. But it's a solemn day. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In Romans, it says, all is sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's, that's not a verse that deals with the fact that everybody's sinning right now. That's a verse that takes us back to Adam. All is sinned in Adam. The original sin. And so how is it that sin passes from Adam to the next, to the next, to the next? It's a mystery to us, but the Bible says that that sin is passed on to you and me. As in Adam, all sin, all fall, all are condemned. A soul, a daughter is born. A soul, a, a, a son is born. But a sinner is born. That's what this passage is teaching us. A sinner is born. You see, the mother becomes unclean ceremonially, but it's showing that she's unclean because she has birthed a sinner. And you say, well, wasn't the sacrifice for the child? Well, the sacrifice is for the woman here, for the mom. The sinfulness of the child is indicated that the child, as it were, contaminates the mother. Sin has transmitted, been transmitted. And the fact that the boy is circumcised after eight days shows that the boy is a sinner. It's a picture of the circumcision of the flesh. It's a, of the heart being circumcised as I read in Deuteronomy this morning. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. So it's not just the male, but the female as well. The doctrine of sin is taught in this chapter. All Scripture is given profitably for doctrine. Let us remember whenever a child is born, that sin has entered into the world. A sinner has come into the world. And we remind ourselves of that in every relationship. It's interesting how when when a male, man and a woman are engaged to be married, we the counsel is, just remember, you're marrying a sinner. And so you're expecting perfection. She's marrying a sinner and you're marrying a sinner. You're both sinners saved by grace if you're Christians, but saved from sin. And so remember that we both need patience and long-suffering and forgiveness and realization that Sin is in us as well as all around us. Happy day. Happy day when our children were born into this world. Happy day. But a solemn day each time. This is a sinner. It's come into the world. And I'm responsible to point this soul to Christ. I am responsible to teach my sons and my daughters daily God's Word. To present them to the Lord. To plead the blood of Christ. To teach them daily that God is real. That God is holy. That sin is real. That sin is unholy. And that Christ is holy. And He died for unholy sin and sinner. And never let them forget that they're sinners and they need Christ. And even after they come to Christ, that we're sinners saved by grace. Oh, what great salvation, therefore, that God would save a sinner. The reproof is the conviction of sin. Adam, my forefather, sinned, but I have sinned in him. And I have sinned beyond Adam. Now, Adam was my forefather and his first sin was I was I contributed to. I, I sinned in him. But every sin after that first sin of Adam, he was responsible for, not me. Whenever Adam told him a second lie or did something else, he's responsible. But I sinned in Adam with that first sin. And Adam is not responsible for my individual sins in life. But my sin is ever before me. against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou thou um, judgest. But Leviticus says, she shall be unclean. First seven days, she was to have no contact with anyone whatsoever. She could not go to church. she had to be separated. And then another 33 days for a male and another 66 days, but you say the 40 and the 80. But the point is, that we see here is she's unclean. She's unclean. Your sins have separated. She was separated from fellowship with God, as it were. Separated from fellowship with saints. Your sins have separated between you and your God. God is holy and man is unholy. This is teaching us the subject of sin. That sin separates. And as believers, when we sin, our fellowship with God is broken. We become unclean. How is it that man can become clean again? Is it by his works? Is it death itself that's a Savior? We automatically are saved once we die. These are false teachings today. People assume that death is the ticket, is the Savior. Well, He's in a better place because He died. Is that why He's in a better place? Because He did all kinds of works. We were listening to the conversion stories of Amish people on our way home on Friday. And over and over again, what what was a, a bulb turning on was, it's not what we have done. It's not what we are doing. It's what Christ has done. They said, if God didn't turn the light bulb on about my work's unrighteousness, I'd have never been saved. The one man described it as this one person, just one evangelist, one person in the in the clan got saved. And he was trying individually to talk to people, and the one man gave the he said the, the 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 cord was plugged in, but the light bulb didn't turn on yet. But he said, I knew that what he was saying had to be thought through, but the 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 point he was making was. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot work your way to heaven. It's by grace. It's a gift. Christ has earned it. And He wanted to hear more. And they talked about how they would hide in darkness because they knew they were going to be shunned. And that they would meet in different places in the cover of darkness because they wanted to hear. They put curtains so that no one could see a light being turned on in the little Bible studies. But the bulbs began to turn on. I'm trusting in Christ and not my own works. Are you trusting in your religion? Are you trusting in your, in your tithing? Are you trusting in your, in your morality? Are you trusting in, in yourself? Are you trusting in Christ? Not by works of righteousness. In other words, she cannot become clean until there's a sacrifice. You and I cannot be saved. We cannot become clean. We cannot become forgiven. We cannot become sinners saved by grace until Jesus dies for our sins. I have contributed absolutely nothing to my salvation. Jesus paid it all. It's like someone said, the only contribution I can make is my sin. That's it. What a horrible contribution that is. But may I say I have contributed to the transmission? I have contributed to the transmission of sin. I sinned in Adam. May none of us make the fatal error to think it's Adam's fault. It's Adam's fault. If I was Adam, I'd have never done such a thing. We were in Adam. That's such the makeup of the human being, of the human race. It's a race. We had a forefather. We say the second Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is that we are righteous in Him. As Adam's sin brought Failure to the human race. And we in Adam, in Christ, He brings salvation to the human race. And we in Christ. But what a solemn thing to think, was He hold that little baby, a sinner has emerged from me. A sinner has emerged from me. A soul made in the image of God. What a precious soul. But this passage is teaching us to linger on this thought. I have brought a sinner into the world. And as much as people look forward to having children in their home, keep the solemn thought as we desire and wish for a child, we're bringing a sinner into the world that desperately needs a Savior. And never lose that thought their whole life. Plead with them to seek the forgiveness of sins. Plead with them to get converted to Christ, or they will have to pay for their sins if they die without Him. And so, we have the doctrine. We have the reproof. We have the reproof. I'm a sinner. They're sinners. They need salvation. They're guilty. They need repentance. Is there hope for that little child in your arms? The correction is The picture of circumcision, verse 3. The sign of the covenant of grace. The promise of salvation. The illustration of the removal of sin. He's illustrating the fact that sin can be removed by the circumcision of the child. At eight days. And that eight is the number of resurrection. Eight is the number of renewal. Renewal. The Bible speaks of the blood of her purifying in verse 4. In other words, this blood that's shed for her ceremoniously pictures her purification. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's Christ's blood of our purifying. Normally you would think the blood of her putrefying, but the blood of her purifying. 40 days for a male and 80 for a female. Both are spoken of as purifying times, and both have the number of 40. 40 was the number of testing as it were. The Lord Jesus Christ salvation is complete, but the sinfulness of the human being is Tested as real and condemning. In other words, she was meant, whether it was 40 or 80, to feel her separation. Think about, for instance, people who are excommunicated from a church. They're excommunicated from the Lord's Supper to have to sit there and watch others remember his death, but being separated from that sacred moment, or from people who are excommunicated from a church and are not allowed to partake of the same fellowship because they're meant to feel their separation, feel the effects of their sin that they have committed. And this woman was meant to feel the separation that was, was the result of bringing a sinner into the world. And people seek to understand why 40 for a male and 80 for a female. You can... You can give all kinds of answers. The male already had circumcision as a picture of the removal of sin. So perhaps that's the reason for the 40. Some have said, well, Eve transgressed first, 1 Timothy 2. But I think the answer is simply unknown to God. He determined it. And so, whether it was 40 or 80 was a significant amount of time for the woman to feel her separation. Oh, that the Lord, whether it's before or after He regenerates us, He lets us feel the separation involved because of our sin. Have you felt the conviction of your sin? Whether it was before you were regenerated or after. Often it's after where we feel what we deserve because of our sin. Our deception, our unbelief, our cowardice, our vileness, our lust. I dare say that any person that has never felt the conviction of sin and the fact that it separates from, God, separates from God, are they alive? What did Paul say? Sin revived and I died. It wasn't until the law convicted him, until he felt the sinfulness of his sin, That he really understood the savingness of his salvation. This is all anticipation to Leviticus 16. When in verse 6, she presents the lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. Isn't it interesting how even the richest of people were told to bring a bird as well as a lamb? But it was to make an atonement for her and for her to be cleansed. Father, I see the fire and I see the altar, but where's the lamb? My son God will provide a lamb for a burnt offering. And John the Baptist settled it all when he said, as Jesus was coming to be baptized, "...behold the Lamb of God." The end of all the lambs and the bulls and the goats and the birds. The end has come to the sacrifice of creatures. Here is the Lamb who fulfills all those types. Here is the child that is born and the Son that is given for the salvation of our souls. And oh, how precious that must have been when that woman could finally Interact now. She could go to church again. She could worship the Lord publicly with her friends, with her family. But not until she brought the sacrifice. Then she could freely, without any pang of conscience, worship the Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him trusteth in Him, lean upon Him for their salvation, shall not perish, shall not be condemned, shall not suffer the wrath of God, shall not go to hell, but shall have everlasting life. Not shall have, like, but be having everlasting life. It's a future as well as a present. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His, by His great love wherewith He loved us, Sent Christ. There is correction to our sin. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how is she instructed from here on out? This is the way of salvation. This is the old fashioned gospel. And the next child, and the next, and the next, and the next, she knew she had not only to experience a happy occasion, but a solemn occasion. But she knew if she followed God's will and God's Word, that she would not remain separated and unclean forever. And how precious that must have been when she brought that child at the 40th day or the 41st day or the 81st day to public worship. As the picture goes, that she and the child, as it were, were purified, were clean. Ceremoniously, yes, they needed to be saved from their sins just like you and I. Jesus alone conceived and was born without sin. An immaculate conception, an immaculate birth, and an immaculate life. What a Savior! But Do you see how the Scripture... Here ends with the Gospel being offered to the poor, to everyone, not just those that could afford lambs. Last but not least, verse 8, if she be not able to bring a lamb, the precious to the poor the Gospel is preached, including the Gentiles, to all of us, Then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering in the place of the lamb, and the other for a sin offering. But in a sense they were brought down to the same plane, for the rich had to bring a bird for the sin offering as well as the poor. But how the Lord stooped to the poor, so that they would receive the gospel just as much as the wealthy. And the priest shall make an atonement for her and she shall be clean. But how can you and I stop there without launching into the future? Mary and Joseph didn't bring a lamb. They brought birds. The only one that could determine who His parents were and what His circumstances were. The Lord Jesus Christ could have been born of a king and a queen in a palace and had all kinds of luxury and all kinds of slaves around at at His fingertips. But He chose to be born of peasants. The poor. He loves to save. Rich and poor. He became poor spiritually that we who are poor might become rich. What a Savior. What a Gospel that we have. Pictured here in the birth of a sinner The question is why did jesus and mary or joseph and mary need to bring an offering when their son was sinless the picture is there that he became sin for us he was the sinner's substitute it must be so for righteousness sake In the likeness of sinful flesh, Jesus was born sinlessly. But the message to you and me is come without money. So great a salvation is needed. It's so great a cost to God. But it's no cost to us. What a happy day it was that you and I were born. But what a solemn day. Did our parents recognize that they had brought sinners into the world? I dare say that for most of us here, our parents didn't realize the sinfulness. Or may I say half of us here. The, sin, the sinner that was brought into the world. But they soon discovered it pretty quickly. A solemn day. But happy day it came again. Happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Happy day to be born. Solemn, serious day is the day of birth. But happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. You and I have been solemnly born. Are we now happily saved from the sin that was t- transmitted into us? Can you and I say, it's now happy day. Happy day. Do we have the concern that Job had? Job was so concerned lest his children had forgotten the Lord and cursed the Lord. It says, continually he brought offerings before the Lord because he feared that his sons and daughters were not living for the Lord and were falling. And especially at the times of their feasting, interestingly. That's when it's measured, that's when it's revealed. The Job was so concerned that there was too much levity, there was sin involved in their levity, in their feasting, in their parties. He pleaded the blood. And oh, how this world is converging upon our children to live for, for, for recreation, to live for entertainment, to live for, for themselves. And we plead the blood. Oh, God, show our children the holiness of God and the need for personal holiness. To resist the sin that tempts them day by day. Oh God, deliver our children from excessive levity and the pleasure pastimes of this world. Let them not be satisfied with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Oh, let them be satisfied indeed. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside Thee. You know how much that woman looked forward to the sacrifice? It was by the blood of the sacrifice picturing Christ that would free her from her bondage, from her separation. And if Jesus doesn't take your place, you are separated from God and His congregation forever and ever. Get to the cross. Get to the blood. Plead the sacrifice of Jesus. And you'll be brought back to God. Brought back to His people. Sin is real. Sin's existence. Sin's transmission. But the blood of Jesus Christ is the solution. The elimination of our sin. Plead His blood and His righteousness. Oh, Father, help us all to, to be sober-minded, to recognize that we are in a fallen world and that every birth is a, a joyful occasion. A soul is brought into God's earth Lord, we pray that we would remember that a sinner is born. That a sinner is born that needs to be born again of the Spirit of God. May we never rest content until our little sinners, until our sons and daughters are regenerated, awakened, given new life, given fruit, showing fruit that they've been born again. We will not let Thee go, Lord. Have mercy upon them. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ for them. Oh, please, Lord, save sinners. Save sinners in our families. Save sinners in our communities. Forgive us where we have been cold and indifferent. We have not taken these occasions Solemnly, O oh Lord, we pray that You would please have mercy upon sinners to be able to say, like we, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. This is our story. To God be the glory. We're only sinners saved by grace because of a Savior who became a sin offering for us. Oh Jesus, thank You. Thank You for Your atoning blood. Help us to praise You all our days. Use us, Lord, to point souls to the cross. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close by singing. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory of only a sinner saved by grace. Number 396.